Raiders, start your engines! Welcome to the one place everybody wants to be. Victory Lane, your source for news, analysis, discussion, interviews, and more from the world of NASCAR. Here's your host, Davey Siegel. Welcome back, party people, to the place everybody wants to be. You know it, you love it. It, of course, is Victory Lane. Today, we have Jeffrey Earnhardt on the show with us. I think it may be the first time that we have the famous last name, and Earnhardt on the show with us. Running for Sam Hunt Racing on a partial schedule this year in the Xfinity Series. I believe, though, this is one of the only times this year that he's going to be running back-to-back races. He ran at Bristol. He's running at Texas this weekend. He's on with us this week to chat about his career, his season thus far with Sam Hunt Racing. And we chat about a little bit of the fun side of Jeffrey's career and life. He's an avid outdoorsman. What's the biggest fish that he's ever caught? What about his little stint in the MMA as a fighter? Yeah, you remember that back in the day? We're going to chat about it with Jeffrey. An abbreviated interview with him because he's obviously a busy, busy man. Abbreviated compared to the other episodes we get here on the Victory Lane podcast feed. But a great time with Jeffrey nonetheless. We're going to let you hear that chat in a moment. But before we do that, we have to throw it back to Papa Siegel this week. He's going to pay homage to the number 62, 61 last week. By the way, I was mistaken. My dad misspoke, even though he says that I misinterpreted what he said. Richie Evans drove the number 61, and that number is retired in the Modified Tour, not in NASCAR's National Series. And I realized that when I remembered that Chase Purdy drives a 61 in the Truck Series, and I think that there may have been a time or two where the 61 was run in the Cup and or Xfinity Series. So, dad slash my mistake last week, but... Let's go, let's turn the page. What do you say? Number 62 this week. I have a feeling that we're going to spotlight somebody who I am a coworker with, kind of, at SiriusXM NASCAR Radio, and always, always makes people smile and laugh. What you got cooking up this week, Papa? Thank you, Duve. Welcome, everyone, to episode 162. 323 starts for number 62 in the Cup Series, but not enough there to really merit our attention. Curtis Kreider gets an honorable mention for making 232 of those starts in the 62 and for having the nickname Crawfish, which he earned after an off-course excursion into a muddy bog in Danville, Virginia. When Kreider struggled out of his car that day, Richard Petty said he looked like a crawfish crawling through the muck, and the name stuck. But today... We look back on a driver who made good use of the sponsorship dollars his family brought to the sport. Brendan Gaughan was born in L.A., but raised in Las Vegas, where his family has deep roots in the gaming industry and owns the South Point Hotel and Casino there, among others. Gaughan played basketball alongside his friend Allen Iverson at Georgetown and also was an all-conference football place kicker there. But he wanted to race, and his family's casino dollars allowed him to. Gone raced sports cars. He's raced off-road and won the Baja 1000. He raced in ARCA, 
He drove in the K&N series, and he even made 67 cup starts. But he enjoyed his greatest success driving in the truck series, where he won eight times, and in the Xfinity series, where he won twice. Though he raced a variety of numbers, Gone is best known and associated with number 62 and the black and yellow South Point livery you likely remember. He also was the Winston West Series champion in 2001 and 2002, the Truck Series Rookie of the Year in 2002, and its most popular driver in 2003. That's all for this week, and to all of you who were concerned and asking, Mama Siegel and I are feeling much better after our COVID adventure. Thanks. Kachiga! Wow. Back to you, Doof. Thank you, Dad. Yes, Brendan gone. What a character. Always a character when it comes to Uncle Brenny. He obviously is running things over there in Vegas with the South Point Hotel and Casino. Wonderful place. If you need to stay anywhere, stay at the South Point. Uh, not a paid advertisement, but, you know, advertising's open here on the pod. Thank you, Dad. Appreciate you paying homage to Mr. Gone, and I'd like to have him on the show. Maybe, maybe we'll do that soon. Maybe. I'll get on that. Let's start off this episode, as we always do, with a good old-fashioned regato! <laughs> and throw it straight over to our interview with Jeffrey Earnhardt. Again, he's driving the 26 Toyota Supra in the Xfinity Series this year for Sam Hunt Racing. He's coming off Bristol. He's headed into Texas, but he's had a pretty solid run to things this season, notably not with SHR, but with RCR. Remember when he drove that three car at Talladega with Larry Mack as his crew chief, won the pole, almost won the race? Oh man, so close. It was an awesome, awesome weekend for him. We're gonna chat about that. Obviously his last name, that comes with certain connotations positive and negative, I'm sure. I asked him straight up how he felt about that and if he feels wrongly judged by people in the industry. Curious to see what he has to say. You'll hear it in a matter of moments. Also, again, we chatted about his life off the racetrack. He's an avid outdoorsman. He loves to hunt. He loves to fish. I know nothing about that. So when he told me the biggest fish that he caught and he tried to just nonchalantly brush it off, I wasn't having it. Here's my chat with Jeffrey Earnhardt of Sam Hunt Racing. Pleasure to welcome on to the show today, driver of the 26 Toyota for Sam Hunt Racing. It is Jeffrey Earnhardt. You're coming off of a 12th place finish at Bristol Motor Speedway. You stayed clean. You stayed green, which I feel like is half, if not more, of the battle there. How was your race on Saturday night or Friday night, I guess? Yeah, it was uh, It was good. It, um, obviously, it could always be better and uh definitely made some mistakes that i wish i hadn't made right there at the end was speeding on pit road with 20 laps to go and mm -hmm. that uh contributed to not finishing quite as good as we probably should have but um and all you know being out of the car for two months not a not a bad trip back to to hopping in the car and uh bristol's one of my favorite tracks to race at we uh fall through a couple different issues throughout the night and and maintained to you know compete and and run hard and the guys gave me a, a a good fast race car leaving from the shop and we just uh tried to keep it under throughout the the race and uh ended up coming away with 12th place finish like i said the speed on pit road on the end there um i screwed up and 
driver error. Uh, if we hadn't done that, I think we'd end up somewhere between fifth to seventh. Um, but in all, um, not a bad race, something we can carry momentum into Texas this weekend with. Nothing like having two months off in the series and coming back at Bristol of all places. That was nice. Yeah, yeah. Th throwing me right to the wolves. Uh, like I said, it, it's it's one of my favorite tracks we go to. So uh, I didn't mind it too bad, but definitely uh, definitely had, had a little bit of rest and knockoff. I'm sure. So like I said, that 12th place run was your best finish, tied for your best finish at Bristol in the Xfinity Series. Had a good run there. Unfortunately, I don't think you had as much luck last night as you did at Bristol. How was your <laughs> How was your GoPro Motorplex experience the other night, Jeffrey? Not a not very good. I've, I've <laughs> never. Uh, I don't think I've ever done very well at any of the off-axis 500s. But uh, it's a great opportunity to support a great cause and uh, go out there and support all the guys at off-axis and you know the amazing work they do. They paint me some pretty incredible helmets and, uh, like I said, the it's all for a good cause and, and anytime you can go and help out, especially uh, anytime Greg asked me to help out with anything, I, I, I'm more than happy to help him. He's, he's a good dude and always uh, been a big supporter of mine uh, just as much as I am of him. So uh, even though we didn't make the main, had a lot of fun racing with them guys. Uh, like I said, I never was very good at carts, but um, still a lot of fun. So real quick, before we kind of move on a little bit, being out of the car for as long as you have been leading up to Bristol, and this season has kind of been herky-jerky. You're in for a couple races, you're out. You run once, you're out. It's been here and there. You've had more races consistently in this car with this team than you have for your entire career in terms of being with a solid team with a good foundation, good backing behind them. Still, though, it must be pretty difficult having to hop out and hop back in and not have any real consistency week to week have you found that to be a bit of a difficult thing to adjust to this year yeah i mean definitely it doesn't doesn't help by any means um you know i've been i've been around for quite some time now i'm getting old but uh you know it still is it still is hard to be out and then hop back in it's not just me it's hard on the team too you know you got alan as a crew chief who's trying to understand what several different drivers throughout the season likes and um makes it difficult on everybody um but, you know, we uh, we continue to push hard and these guys have done an amazing job. And Alan's been a phenomenal crew chief, really enjoyed working with him this year and um, try to spend as much time talking as we can together just so we, we can understand each other better for, you know, this situation where I'm not here every week and he's having to try to understand me on the radio throughout a race. So, um I think Alan's done a phenomenal job. All the guys here at Sam Hunt Racing, they've uh, they've been incredible to work with and put uh, fast cars on the racetrack. And um, I've had confidence in these guys from the very start and uh, still to today. And uh, we're going to go give them our best at Texas. I feel like you and Sam are pretty similar in terms of your backgrounds, your personalities. He's a racer. You're a racer. You guys have been grinding for years and years to get to this point and it's cool to see you guys being able to be in this spot together taking this organization to new heights when did your relationship first start and how did that relationship cohese so much to now you're driving his race car for a partial season this year yeah i mean obviously you know seeing him around the racetrack and uh seeing you know a, a new guy come into the the series you know trying to start his own race team you see it happen a lot. And I was like, man, like, you know, I hope this guy knows what he's getting into. Hope he's prepared. 
And, you know, he was, he kept bringing nice stuff to the track and bringing uh, fast race cars to the track with very uh, young, inexperienced drivers and, and stock cars. And uh, I was like, man, like, you know, this guy, he might, you know, really pull this off. And actually Greg from off axis uh, was close friends with him and was like, dude, he's like, you should really consider the, you know, driving for Sam, you know, he's got really good stuff. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I know it's uh, obviously it costs more, but you know, um, you know, I, I just, I don't, I don't know, like, you know, where, where he's going to go next year. And he's like, well, I think he's got pretty, pretty big plans. And uh, so, you know, I hit Sam up and I said, Hey man, like love to sit down and talk and just see, you know, where you're at next year and see if, you know, there might be an opportunity for us to work together. And uh, we sat down and he told us, you know, with him getting the TRD support, uh, you know, acquired some chassis from Gibbs, um, Gibbs Motors. He was uh, heading the right direction and had great people hired, you know, uh, brought Alan on board this year. And uh, I was like, man, like this, this could be a, a sweet opportunity to, to go and do something pretty special. And, uh, we uh we just kept talking and you know shooting back and forth and one thing led to another and uh here we are and uh very uh just thankful for the opportunity for him to even want to let me drive his race cars all the guys here at the shop that you know believe in me and and continue to you know give me their best every week to to go out there and compete and um and run in fast race cars it's uh it's always fun when when you you bring fast stuff to the racetrack and you see a small team like this uh, achieving what they're able to achieve and, you know out here driving by Gibbs cars with their old yeah. equipment was uh is always a lot of fun so um it's uh it's been it's been a, a pretty cool year and uh hopefully I'm, I'm able to do it a lot more next year and and who knows maybe maybe be here full season but uh still working on all that but would love to to be able to compete for these guys every weekend and, and race for a championship. So as you mentioned, Jeffrey, you know this better than anybody, but as you move up in the sport, you get with bigger teams, with better equipment, that requires more sponsorship commitment, obviously. You have that now with Foreverlawn. That paint scheme looks great, by the way. I know it's on your hat, too. Um, how did your relationship with them first begin? Because I know it didn't start here at Sam Hunt Racing. You've run for countless teams in the past in Cup and Xfinity, and they've been with you for a little bit now. How did that relationship first begin, and how did it blossom into what it is now with more and more financial support to get behind you? Yeah, um, it, it all started uh, about, I guess, almost three years ago at JD Motorsports. Um, you know, they came on, and this definitely wasn't something that they thought they would be interested in. and You know, wasn't sure it was the right play and um we kind of we went up to their home office in ohio and pitched them on the opportunity and they uh they said you know what let's let's just do a three race deal and see see how it goes and then they were hooked so um you know they've been a huge impact in my career but also my personal life and just uh amazing people and, and have uh have really you know bought into you know this whole program and really just enjoy every bit of it. And, and the, you know, the connections it's, it's given them throughout um, all different kind of industries that, that could present opportunities uh, for them to do uh, synthetic turf, which is, uh, you know, the, the main thing in this sport is if, if you got a sponsor that's going to come in, come in and commit, you gotta, you gotta give them a B2B play to where they feel like they're getting their money's worth. And, uh, 
and, and that's what we've tried to do with these guys and um, opening doors that may have not opened had they not done this. So uh, been a been a really cool journey with these guys and hopefully, you know, be partners with them for years to come. Um, but they've uh, they've been they've been pretty cool to work with and, and a lot of a lot of fun at the racetrack. All, uh, I guess on and off the racetrack because I spent quite a, quite a bit of time with them off the track as well. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Um, you know, people obviously will see your last name Jeffrey and they'll kind of judge a book by its cover, right? They'll think that everything's handed to you. You have a famous last name, famous family. I obviously understand that's far from the truth. It's anything but. Um, have you ever felt slighted or maybe unfairly judged? in the past, whether it be by competitors, fans, sponsors, what have you, over the course of your career just because of who your family is? Or do you think for the most part people understand you, people understand your story, and they do give you the benefit of the doubt and say, okay, look, I see he's working his butt off and he's not just getting everything handed to him. It's literally the complete opposite. But I'm just curious for some people that may see it on the surface if you ever feel a certain way. Yeah, I mean um – when I was younger, first getting started, I'll, I'll let that kind of stuff bother me. And, you know, people, uh, you know, everything from assuming that I just had everything given to me to, um, you know, just assuming I'm going to go out and win every race because my last name, uh, you know, I've kind of heard it all across the board, but, um, you know, even, even from the moment I first started wanting to start racing, my dad, I, I had to beg, actually beg my dad for two years to let me race first. And then, uh, he finally told me, he said, you got to find sponsors in a race car and you can race. And I went out to local, you know, family friends that had companies in there and one of them had a car and the other one was willing to sponsor me financially. And, uh, Mark Forhan and Suzuki up in Whitfield, Virginia was the one that had the car and Cedar Springs, uh, sportsman's lodge, uh, was the other one that was going to sponsor me, um, financially. So, you know, I, from the very start, my dad made me figure out, you know, hey, if you're going to do this, you got to you gotta work your butt off to make it happen. Um, you know, I haven't haven't had things given to me. And, I mean, I'm obviously blessed with the last name that is uh, very appealing to sponsors. And I'm very fortunate to have that um, because it does help when it comes to selling a sponsor. But um, I haven't, haven't had it easy. Um, you know, I don't, don't really uh, much care to have it easy. It's a lot more fun when you go out there and have success when you know you worked hard for it. So, um, like I said, I, I used to get a little bit out of shape about people's opinions and now uh, I guess I've gotten a little older and a little wiser and, uh, the people that, the people that actually know, they see, they see the hard work and know, you know, what I've put in to, to be able to maintain and, and be in, in racing today, because it's not easy. It's, uh, it's very expensive and, and, you know, in times where the economy is not the greatest, it's hard to find sponsorship. So, um, you know, but at the end of the day, you got to keep working and pushing. And if you want it bad enough, you'll make it happen. You have had the highest of highs. You've had the lowest of lows. You've won races. You've lost rides. You've had heartbreak. You've had jubilation for the fan that will never experience that. And it's just watching on the couch. How does that make you better? How does that make a race car driver better to have a roller coaster and the trials and the tribulations? How do you come out on the other side of that feeling good and feeling confident in yourself and knowing, okay, now that I had these experiences, good or bad, that makes me better. Yeah. I, th I think it just makes you understand how to channel like that feeling of, uh, denial or, uh, you know, getting shot down by sponsors or losing rides. 
and and then understand how to appreciate the rides when you do get them because you, you've had to work so hard to get them and uh, know how quickly they can be taken away. So I think the biggest thing is just learning. You know, I've, I've learned how to appreciate the opportunities you're given, no matter how good or bad they may be. Um, and then to, to understand that you're not, it's not always going to be, you know, streets paved with gold. It's, it's going to be, you know, times where you got to gut it out and, and, uh, you know, shoot, I've, I've gone into February, the beginning of February, not knowing if I had a ride at all. So, uh, I've had times where it was, it was really tough. Um, and, and I, like I said, I've been very blessed to have, uh, the partners I have today that, have you know given me opportunities to at least go out there and compete as much as they can financially support me and um hopefully you know moving forward to next year we can continue to grow that and and be out there a lot more because uh i love our sport i love getting to drive race cars obviously i'm living the dream uh getting to do that i mean i get to do what i love for a living so um hopefully uh hopefully i'm here a lot more next year and uh and competing for a championship I know you want to be there next year and potentially long-term, but I got to talk about this year at Talladega. That was something that you had a lot of Earnhardt fans living their dreams of 20 years ago. An Earnhardt in the three car at Talladega, on the pole, leading the field. Larry Mack is your crew chief. I mean, that it doesn't get much better than that. I know, obviously, you came up one spot short and you wanted to win that more than anything. And in the moment, I'm sure you're thinking, okay, I don't care what car I'm in, who's my crew chief, what's on the side, I just want to win. But now that it's been a couple months removed from that, have you had the chance to reflect a little bit and look back and say, okay, all these things came together. I understand it was a one-off, but Richard was in it. Larry Mack was in it. Three was on the side of the car. It was black with that beautiful forever long paint scheme. It was at Talladega. I was pacing the field. I mean, again, that that's storybook stuff. Have you had a chance to reflect on that weekend and that day at all and just think about how cool and surreal all that was? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's, uh was an incredible weekend for, uh, for everyone involved. Uh, um, and, you know, f- for fans, it seemed like they, uh, they, they really enjoyed it as well. A little bit. Um, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it's been, been a dream of mine to get the opportunity to compete at RCR in the three car. Um, just because, you know, that, that's where my grandpa made his, his, his place and, and his name. So, you know, to get that opportunity to go out there and, um, and run the black number three for Richard with Larry Mack as a crew chief um, was incredible. And uh, to go down there, set on the pole, I was like, man, like, you know, this is just all too good to be true. And then, you know, we were one spot shy of making a, a true uh, fairy tale story, but um, still in all was just an incredible opportunity. Uh, crazy to see the impact it had with the Earnhardt fans and uh, felt like it just brought, some life back into those, those Earnhardt fans that, uh, have been looking for that. And, uh, it was, was really cool to, to just see the response and how, uh, just how, how excited people were was, was really impressive. And, um, it's hard to believe like the, you know, that, that, that all started from my grandpa and that's the, that's the, the legacy that he built and, and what, you know, I want to try to continue, whether it's in the three or the 26, you know, like um, I'm still an Earnhardt out here competing in this, the same sport he was in and, and trying to keep that name alive out there. So um was really, uh was really cool just to be able to get that opportunity to, like I said, give, uh give them Earnhardt fans something to, 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 I guess, light a little fire back under them. 
It's hard to make some grown, grizzly men cry, but I think you did that at Talladega. It's hard to do. Yeah, I think uh, I was uh, I was pretty close to shedding some tears myself. Not just uh, just a great opportunity. Like I said, it was a it's been a dream of mine for a long time, and we've talked about it, you know, for years now. Of, you know, back even whenever they had the truck team at RCR, uh, you know, potentially getting in the the number three truck. So, um, you know forever going to be grateful for forever long giving me the opportunity to to go out there and do that and and richard and all the guys at rcr for uh allowing me to come drive for them and and giving me a fast race car because uh we we had a fast hot rod and uh they typically always bring fast hot rods to the super speedways so um was uh was a really cool moment definitely one i'll never forget um your last cup series start was a few years ago back in 2019 I know that was when you had the IK9 deal, and before that you were running close to, if not full seasons as well. Um, do you want to get back there one day, or are you kind of content doing what you're doing now in terms of trying to make a name for yourself in the Xfinity Series, or do you still have your eye on the premier level? I mean, I'd, I'd love to eventually get back to the Cup Series. Um, you know, I, I like to think that I've got many, many more years of racing to go, um, and, you know, would really like that opportunity at some point, but uh, you know, I want a I want a solid opportunity in the Xfinity Series to race for a championship, and um, I feel like you know going out there, you know, winning races and, and racing for that championship would be uh, a huge part of uh, of you know getting back to that that cup level and, and competing there. But um, yeah, I definitely want to give it a, a good shot at a, an Xfinity championship, and um, and and then go from there. I, I just you know, I, I love the opportunity. I mean, the Cup Series is such a such a tough tough series. I mean, you look at the guys that are you know struggling to win races out there, and um, they're they're champions, you know. And and it's uh, and there's so many new changes within that series, the the new car, and a lot of stuff that I think they're still uh, still trying to work out and, and and get you know get to where they feel like it's right. So definitely uh, don't want to rush to to get there, but you know, I think to to be able to compete for for wins and a championship in the Xfinity Series, uh, I'd like to see that happen first before I get back to the Cup Series. We hear about the differences between those two garages. When you make that walk from the Xfinity Garage to the Cup Garage, it's a big jump. It's a quantum leap. You have lived that, and understandably, you know, things have changed since you've been out of the Cup Series for a handful of years, most notably, obviously, the next-gen car, but there's driver turnover, crew turnover, things like that. How big was that leap when you were back doing both at the same time or around the same time? Because again, we hear about it. You've lived it. It was definitely, uh, it's such a, it's just a different world, man. You're, you're, you're there with the best of the best, um, in our sport. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's crazy. I mean, I, I feel like I've grown tremendously as a driver since, since I was in the cup series, um, and just, really, you know, developing myself and understanding, uh, you know, understanding racing better, um, which I, I feel like us as drivers, even I would, I would, I would say Kyle Busch and Kevin Harvick feel they learn more and more every time they get in a race car. But, um, you know, I, I feel like if I went back to the cup series, I'd be, you know, many steps ahead of where I was when I last ran in the cup series, just because of everything I've learned. But, um, it is. It's a, it's a, it's such a, a 
I mean, I, even coming to the Xfinity series, I was like, holy cow, like, you know, I, like who, who are these guys? <laughs> you know, it's like they're doing stuff that I didn't think was possible um, in race car. And then, you know, it's the same when you go from Xfinity to cup, those guys, uh, they're, they're there for a reason and it's cause they're the best in our sport. And, um, and they, they've, they've done it for a long time and, and really understand it and, and do it very well. So it is a, it's a big jump. It's, it's, uh, it's really hard to, I don't even know how you would explain it. Like to me, it was, it, it was very eye opening. So Jeffrey, in your career, you know, you've raced in the Euro series, you've raced in the Rolex 24 hours of Daytona, Cup, Xfinity, Truck, k and I'm going to let list off some of the teams, just some, that I know that you've raced for. It's a long list. Yeah. BK Racing, Go Fast, Circle Sport, JD Motorsports, Rick Ware Racing, like over 10 years ago, an OG Rick Ware Racing driver, Starcom, Premium, Gaunt Brothers, Eberlin Gase Motorsports this year, Sam Hunt Racing this year, RCR. That's just scratching the surface, dude. Yeah. I mean, it, it's insane to think about how many teams – organizations, manufacturers, owners, crew chiefs, crew members that you have come into contact with and raced for and raced with throughout your racing career. I feel like that's a testament to you. You're able to get along with a lot of people. You have a lot of relationships and they want to employ you and use your services. I guess it's just crazy to think about you have been with that many different teams in such a short period of time. Does it feel like that many or do you feel like you've just kind of been floating on one to the next and just doing your thing? It, it, I mean, it's definitely been a lot. Um, you know, when I get, you know, autograph requests from hero cards from way back in the day, I'm like, holy cow, like, <laughs> remember these days? And yeah. it's, uh, it is pretty, it is pretty cool to have raced for so many different teams across different racing series. Uh, like you said, you know, Grand Am, uh, you know, the Penty series in Canada, NASCAR, I mean, I've, been very blessed to get to race a lot of different places for a lot of different teams. And, um, it is pretty wild to think, I mean, I, you know, I feel like walking around the garage, uh, any of the people that have been around for a while in our sport, I, I tend to know or recognize the face because I've probably worked with them at some point or sometime. Um, yeah. obviously there's a lot of, a lot of new people coming in our sport, uh, engineer wise and stuff that are, are new faces, but all the, all the, old OGs that have been here for a long time. I, mm -hmm. I've, I've probably worked with it at some point. <laughs> Do you have a list? Cause I just listed off like 11 or 12 and I feel like uh, I'm missing another 11 uh, or 12. Junior motorsports, uh, ran at Richmond. Um, trying to think who, who else? I feel like it's gotta be at least like 15 to 20. Oh yeah. He, I think he said Gibbs. You said Gibbs, right? No, I didn't. Uh, racing, obviously. That's uh, uh, uh man it's there's a lot got a lot yeah there's, there's quite a few out there but um you know again like like i was saying you gotta you gotta appreciate you know every opportunity you've ever had because uh, i've learned these opportunities don't come easy and uh it takes a lot of work to to get those opportunities and you know when you get them you, you better uh make the best of them and, and enjoy it like that's that's the biggest thing like when I was younger, you know, I wanted to go out there and set the world on fire, even though it wasn't the best opportunity equipment wise or, you know, team wise. Um, and if looking back, I wish I would have just sat back and enjoyed the opportunity and, and, and appreciated it more than what I did because, um, you know, they come and go quick and, and 
you know, you, you need to enjoy them while you got them. All right, I got a few minutes left with you. I want to get into some fun things. I know off the track and away from the track, you are a big and avid outdoorsman. I know nothing about fishing. I know nothing about hunting. Uh, if I ever do either of those, you're going to be my first call. So please have your phone on you. What is the biggest fish you've ever caught? Uh, biggest fish I've ever caught? Probably... I don't know, probably the 54-pound flathead I caught noodling. 54 pounds. Yeah, caught it with my hands. Goodness gracious. You're a menace. (laughs) That was was a lot of fun. Um, (laughs) I mean, I've been deep-sea fishing quite a bit, but I've never caught anything really, really big uh, out there. But I would say say probably, yeah, probably the 54-pound flathead. It's not really not that big, though. Like, when you're talking, you know. Come on. Well, some of the stuff. Not that big. If, well, if, if if you're talking freshwater, it's big. If you're talking fresh and saltwater, there's a lot of big fish out there in the sea. Like, I have I mean, a lot to learn because the extent of my fish knowledge is the ones you see at the grocery store. <laughs> well, there's uh, there's there's some sea monsters out there. So yep. uh, that's the, uh, like one of the things I really want to do is uh, catch a goliath grouper. Those things get 500 pounds and they're just massive. Uh, I don't think you could do that with your hands. No, probably. Well, the, so there are guys that do hand line them. You, you set set the hook and then you pull it up with a rope with your hands. That yeah. would be tough. But uh, sounds sounds like I don't know. I, I, it sounds impossible to me. But a guy told yeah. me it's really not that bad. All right. Uh, I don't know if I believe him or not, but. All right. Well, we'll check back in with you next time to see if that's been accomplished off your bucket list. Um, uh, speaking of, that takes a lot of strength, right? I feel like uh, if you were still on your MMA training regimen, that would be something that you could use <laughs> as your training regimen. You could get your outdoors time and you could train for your fights. I mean, 500 pounds, that's nothing to sniff at. Yeah, no, most definitely. It would, it would not be, uh, I don't know. Like I was, I was a lot smaller when I, when I did the MMA stuff, I only, <laughs> only weighed 135 pounds in. I'm, I'm like a buck 75 now. So I've bulked up a little bit. What was that? Just real quick as an aside, what was the reason for you going down that route? I know it was kind of a flash in the pan. It was a, it was a short period of time, but it seemed kind of random to me at the time. I remember what was your reasoning to going down the MMA path for a minute? Just a bucket list thing. Um, you know, we, uh, like I, I was, I was a wrestler in high school and, uh, really just enjoyed the discipline aspect of wrestling. Um, and one of my buddies had, uh, you know, state champ wrestler, uh, scholar, you know, college scholarship wrestling, um, and had done boxing slash MMA, uh, training as, as a kid. Um, and start working out at this gym in Charlotte. And he's like, dude, just come, come to the gym with me. I'm like, man, I'm like, I'm not a fighter. I don't want to go get beat up. Like it's not, doesn't sound fun. Right. And, uh, he's like, man, it's not even like that. He's like, just come. And so I decided to go one day and just thought it was really fun, uh, you know, rolling around jujitsu. And, um, I wasn't, Obviously, I didn't know anything about it, but because of wrestling, I could scramble and and hang with the guys for a little bit before they'd finally submit me. And uh, the coach was like, "Man, you give me a, a solid two month training camp, and like we could have you, you know, in decent shape to go and make your debut fight." And I was like, oh, "I don't know, I'm not a fighter." And uh, I was like, "I'll think about it." And rolled around the rest of the day, and I was like, "You know what? I've got nothing to lose. Let's do it." And uh, Signed up to go do an MMA fight. So uh, it was two months of just getting my butt kicked for four to seven hours a day training, uh, seven days a week. And um, I was running a partial race season at the time. So 
uh, trying to balance that and the, the training schedule, but, uh, was a lot of fun, a uh, huge character builder for me and, and learned a lot about myself and how hard I was willing to work to be successful at something I, I knew nothing about. So, um, was, uh, was really cool. And I, if I was that same age, I would, I would do it again tomorrow, <laughs> but, uh, I got a few years on me now. Probably, probably stay out of the cage. Still, uh, I mean, a great, uh, just training, uh, regiment. I mean, you, I, I was literally the best shape I've ever been in my life when I was training for that. So, uh, a lot of fun and, uh, who knows, maybe, uh, keep them skill sharp in case anyone decides to get a little too rough on the racetrack and pull, <laughs> pull them out of the, out of the, the back burner and, and use them on some of these guys. Don't mess with Jeffrey. You're one and know. Yeah. yeah one and oh, one, <laughs> one out on top. One That's on right. Top. All right, uh, I'll close asking about Texas this weekend. I know the racetrack is challenging in multiple different ways. Very, very single groove racetrack. It's hard to make passes. It's hard to gain momentum. Realistic expectations for the race this weekend in the Lone Star State and for the rest of the year with these guys? Um, I mean, I like to think that we can go down there and run inside the top 10 easily all day and, and, and get a top five out of it. Um, Texas is been a track that I've really enjoyed running at the past few years. Um, you know, and even in the JD equipment, we, we had some pretty, pretty solid runs there, um, that, you know, would, would have had really good finishes. We ended up having some, uh, equipment failure, but, um, you know, and even there earlier this year, we, we didn't have the greatest car and we, you know, fought some issues that we had going on with the car itself, uh, throughout the race and, and still managed to come away 19th. Um, with you know the issues that we had going on was pretty uh pretty pretty good all things considered but uh you know this team's grown so much uh in this just this year and i mean they brought fast race cards at the beginning of the year and, and they've only gotten better at doing so so i think uh i think i mean we're we're a top 10 team the way i look at it um and, and you know we should go down there and run inside the top five we just i just got a lot of confidence in these guys and I really believe in them and uh I like to set the bar high because I know you know we're all uh tough competitors and if I set the bar high we'll work hard to to achieve that so um I'm going out on a limb saying uh we're gonna go run top five this this weekend and uh you know might get lucky and and put it in victory lane there you go like the sound of that you're one and oh in MMA let's go one and oh since appearing on the pod what do you say I like the sound of that. Let's do it. <laughs> Jeffrey, I appreciate your time, man. I know you're busy this week, so thank you. Best of luck this weekend, and we'll be chatting soon. Yes, sir. Sounds good. Thank you. And we're back. Woo. Thank you, Jeffrey. Appreciate the time there, my friend. Again, a great chat with him. He's such an interesting character. He's bounced around from series to series to team to team to manufacturer to manufacturer with sponsor to sponsor. But one thing has remained constant. His love, his admiration for the sport, his drive, his fortitude to stay in the sport. And I think that really, honestly, needs to be commended a little bit more than it already is. So appreciate your time, Jeffrey. Appreciate your experience and sharing that with me here today. And he's been kicking butt and taking names figuratively and literally for the better part of a decade plus in the sport and out of it in the octagon. So good luck this weekend at Texas, Jeffrey. We'll be watching. And thank you to Trish Westfall of Sam Hunt Racing for helping coordinate that conversation as well. Always enjoy working with her, an OG, as they say, and looking forward to getting some more Sam Hunt Racing drivers and personalities on the show later this year and in the future.
Got to chat briefly about B -b 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 Bristol, baby. Or should I say it's Busher, baby. Chris Busher, Christopher Busher, however you want to say his name, the third straight non-playoff driver to win a race in these NASCAR playoffs. I quite literally do not know how this keeps happening. Well, I do know it's the next-gen car. It's parody. It's the crazy season that is 2022. But it's just nuts to think about. You had Eric Jones at Darlington. Okay, that's an upset. You had Bubba Wallace at Kansas. Understandable. He's been quick. He's in the owner's championship. Chris Buescher at Bristol? I, I can see it, yes, but at the same time, my God, when is this going to stop? We have never seen a non-playoff driver win back-to-back -back or multiple races in the playoffs. And now we've had it happen not once, not twice, but thrice. Three times it's happened in a row to open up the postseason. 19 winners on the year already. That ties the modern era record. We're going to get one more winner this season. I'm pretty confident about that. And when we do, we will have a new season record in terms of drivers that have won a race. So kudos to Chris Buescher. Kudos to Brad Keselowski. Kudos to RFK Racing. Everybody over there at that newly revamped organization for this year for putting their money where their mouth is and getting that performance to tick upwards. And they have done that this year. And then some. The 17, I think, has been a little bit better than the 6 overall. But you saw both cars have tons of speed at Bristol. And I know that the tire falloff was minimal, if there at all. And the next-gen car had some parts and pieces fail, be it in the steering box. And Kyle Busch had an engine expire, obviously. But Brad Keselowski, I think he led over 100 laps. Chris Buescher did the same. Obviously led at the end of the race and did not relinquish that top spot, even when... Kevin Harvick, Kyle Larson, Christopher Bell, and the like were hounding down on him. So kudos to that race team. Kudos to that driver. It's cool to see underdogs continue to get shine and continue to find their way to victory lane. And Chris Buescher and RFK Racing, they're just the next in line to do that this year. And real quick, on those next-gen car issues, I mean, I don't know if there's much else to say other than what we've heard at nauseum this week on Sirius XM NASCAR radio and from NASCAR themselves. And I mean, if you watch the race, you knew that there was something going on. There were problems and there have been problems this year with the next gen car being that it's now a spec car, single source supplier. Teams are not making their own parts and pieces. So in the past, when there's been a power steering failure or a steering box failure or a car catches on fire, the team would then go back to the shop and say, all right, hey, smart people fix this, but stay in the rule book. And they would, and they do it pretty efficiently, succinctly, quickly, legally, most of the time. But now they don't have that gray area and they don't have that free for all to do that because all the parts come from the same place, the same organization, and they go to every single car. So when you saw the tire issues happen, I know that a lot of them happened to the Ford cars. There were a couple Toyotas and Chevys affected as well. That probably came from a setup miscue or mishap for the Ford specifically. Team Penske and the Wood Brothers. Harrison Burton was in like 10 cautions, still finishing the top 20, I think. Um, but at the same time, the power steering issues were happening with Toyotas and Chevrolets. And you saw other widespread issues happen in the race. And this is not the first time that this has happened because the fires have been a recurring issue. There's been other issues with the wheels and the hubs all season long. So... 
Look, NASCAR understands this is a problem. They're trying to get their arms around it. I understand it's not going to happen overnight, and I hope that they get it fixed by the start of next year. Some industry insiders don't really sound too optimistic that that's going to be the case and that's going to happen. The safety is obviously a huge, huge concern, seeing what's happened to Kurt Busch and what's happened to other drivers that may have gone underreported so far. Some are starting to speak out now about it, but look, the next-gen car has been great in some circumstances, and it's been lackluster in some circumstances. Unfortunately, the short tracks have been affected by this car. Denny Hamlin and Kevin Harvick were saying they're going too fast in the corners, and that was kind of hindering the race's ability to become a really compelling watch, whereas intermediate tracks, besides Texas this weekend because Texas is Texas, they have improved. So there's some positives. There's some negatives. I think overall the car has been good. That doesn't mean that there is room for improvement because I think NASCAR knows more than anybody there is a lot of room for improvement right now. But we do go on to Texas, Texas Motor Speedway, Talladega Super Speedway, and the Charlotte Motor Speedway Roval. They are the three races that make up the round of 12. Four drivers were eliminated after Bristol. Kevin Harvick, see ya. Austin Dillon, have a good day. Tyler Reddick, enjoy yourself. And Kyle Busch, goodbye. Wow. Did not expect to see two former champions be eliminated in the first round. Harvick, the circumstances around his elimination were tough because he caught on fire at Darlington. Ross Chastain and or his spotter or bad place, bad time, whatever you want to call it, he was involved in a situation at Kansas that wasn't really a fault of his own. And he had a top 10 car at Bristol on a bad pit stop at the end, sent him from the top three to the back half of the top 10. So top 10, top five race winning speed at all three racetracks, but nothing to show for it. He's gone. Kyle Busch, two engine failures in the opening three races of the playoffs, and he's out in round one for the first time in his career. Kevin Harvick, same thing with him. Tyler Reddick, we've seen that he's had speed for RCR on road courses this season. He's also had speed on intermediates, but at Kansas, again, a tire issue bites him. Wrong place, wrong time. So unfortunate for Reddick, he's not able to advance, and it's been a tough week for him. Learning that he's losing his ride next year, he's still allegedly going to have a place at RCR. That's what Richard Childress said. We'll see if he's trying to drive up that price of a buyout for 2311 Racing. Time will tell on that. But he's losing his team, his crew chief, everything next year, and now he loses his shot at the championship for this year. And Austin Dillon, just glad you made it in, son. <laughs> I mean, let's face it, the Daytona win, it was a Hail Mary. He did it. He earned it. But I think a lot of people had him as a first-round exit, so he's also gone. Sayonara. But I was a bit surprised by Reddick, Bush, and Harvick for sure. That's what happens in the NASCAR playoffs. Survive and advance. 12 drivers did that. Four drivers did not. That'll wrap things up for episode 162 of Victory Lane 2.0. Hope you guys enjoyed the show today. If you did please leave me a rating and a review. Subscribe to the podcast. We're available on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, usually wherever you get your podcasts. We should be available there for your consumption. And if we're not, drop me a line and we'll try to rectify that issue for you. Hope you guys try to enjoy the weekend of racing at Texas Motor Speedway this weekend. Rumor has it that there may be some reconfiguration plans in the works. 
I don't know if this is gonna be the last race on this current one and a half mile configuration, but all I'm saying is I wouldn't hate if it was. Now, I don't want it to go to a super speedway, but that's not in my hands. All I know is that something, something needs to change when it comes to this racetrack and the sooner the better. Thank you to Jeff for your heart for the time. Thank you for listening and we will catch you on the flip side next week. Be good party people.